Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Sheila, for sharing with us that uh, song that Greg just sang. He uh, wrote the uh, music to. It comes from the uh, poem section of the Gospel Primer that uh, most, if not all of you, have a copy of. If you don't have a copy, they are available in the bookstore, and uh, it uh, it's powerful. Greg is in the process of writing and setting that whole poem to music. So you can think of him and pray for him as he does that. And uh, I think, Ron, we can probably even learn to sing it ourselves. Huh? All right. Well, it's with uh, tremendous joy that I relinquish the pulpit this morning. Uh, something, uh, not, not that I'm, that really came out wrong, didn't it? It's with incredible sadness that I give up this pulpit this morning. Okay. I don't like to do that. Um, but for the gentleman that I'm going to stand aside for, I would do it any time. Uh, Dan, where are you? You are here, aren't you? Good. I'm glad you're here, brother, because I didn't prepare anything for this morning. But uh, Dan, uh, Dan and I go back a long time together. We served as elders here at Foothill years ago, and, and uh, brother, it's just been so good to watch what the Lord's been doing in with you and Lillian and your family and, and to pray with you and for you, to, uh, to watch you learn patience in ministry as the Lord has um, chosen to uh, make you wait a good long time before your heart's desire could be fulfilled, which is to reach to the Angariku people. Brother, I'm glad you're here this morning. You're going to come and open the word with us. We're looking forward to it. I don't want to take any more of your time, so you get up here and you preach, all right? All right. I won't relinquish it, but... <laughs> well, the word that's mainly on my mind when I stand up here right now is joy. Uh, so great to be here. We, we miss your faces. We miss seeing you and to, to just come here and see so many of you right now. It's a, a real blessing for our family. It's a privilege, even though it's a short time right now. This Saturday, we need to be up uh, in Santa Rosa for... Our oldest son, David's wedding. So we're just passing through here. Uh, be three weeks here in the U.S. and then heading back to Brazil. But we're, we're thankful that we got to be here for Sunday. I didn't expect that David would relinquish the pulpit for me to actually uh, be able to bring the message this morning. But that's a special privilege to open the word with you and to, to learn along with you. Every time I, I teach from God's word, I I'm really learning too. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, and together we can we can learn what He's teaching us. Before we do that, I just wanted to to give a really quick update of what's been happening with us. Uh, we're continuing the ministry there. Uh, you've sent us to do the ministry, and uh, the relationship we have with the church has continued to be very close. I mean, the prayer support, the financial support, uh, we're overwhelmed with gratefulness of of what the church has done. Uh, the way that you've kept in touch with us. You've been able to keep in touch by email. Uh, Art has called down there several times from the church office too to let us know what's going on here, find out what's happening with us. Uh, you, I don't know if you know that you're sending to us every week uh, the CD of the message along with the church bulletin. So we're keeping up with the news, keeping up with the announcements. So thank you for that, especially the secretarial staff <laughs> that actually makes that happen. Although some of the message titles aren't too encouraging, like The Deep, Dark Descent of Man, Part 5. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but I we do have to live in reality, don't we? 
And if you're looking at the message this morning, self-denial, sacrifice, uh, doesn't look too encouraging either, but I didn't make up this stuff. Uh, <laughs> comes from the word. So, hey, what we've been doing this this year uh, has really been the best year that we've seen so far in the area of reaching to the Ingartico people. And that's been a, an exciting thing for us. It's been a blessing to see that uh, I, I've lost count this year how many times we visited there. I'm trying to think if it was five, six, or seven visits, trips that we've made to the Ingariko area. Just about every two weeks, uh, we make another two-week visit. So about half of our time this year, we've actually spent in the village. And that's a, a new thing for us. We've been really just making short visits occasionally and trying to feel out the situation. We feel confident that the people in the village, the Ingariko people, are wanting us to be there. They're glad that we're coming. Uh, the Lord has also given us another couple that works with us, Jean and Rosanette. You might have read about them in the emails. And uh, they're welcome to come there too. Neither of us are, are completely welcome to live there yet. We thought that Jean and Rosanette were, although later on the village talked to them and said, really, that means if you get permission from the government Indian Protection Agency, then you can live here. That's what we meant. And so some of that is still up in the air, but... It's not on the part of the Ingariko people themselves or even their leadership. You know, they're happy to have us there. They're just a little bit concerned about what happens if they get caught letting non-indigenous people into their area without having gone through all the paperwork involved. And so what we're doing then is making visits and we're actually turning in the paperwork and making the official request to go in. And so that's working out pretty well. Uh, our co-workers, the, the lady, Rosanette, she's actually half indigenous herself. So we're seeing someone from the Makushi people group now reaching out to the next people group north, the Ingariko, and he's using her in that way, which also helps as far as being able to be in the reservation. You know, how can they say no to her? <laughs> that's her reservation too. It's for both people groups. So uh, that's a special thing that the Lord's done that we never really planned, but I don't think the door can ever completely close to them, even if it closes to us. Uh, there's no way that they can tell her you can't come into your reservation. So uh, they're really dedicated to the work. They're planning to go August 1st. That's pretty soon. Yeah, this week. They're planning to, to fly in there. And they're, this time they're going to stay there for four months. It's a four-month visit. So the word visit is becoming defined more and more loosely as they go. But uh, this is a great thing as far as language learning. And that's the phase we're in right now. Uh, we're seeing them learn the language uh, really rapidly because of the, the time they're spending there. Uh, they've probably passed us up now in learning the language, which is great. You know, keep on going. Uh, the more that we can learn, the better. It doesn't matter to me who's learning it. Uh, we've got to learn it. So thank the Lord with us for that, that uh, we are understanding more of the language. We're able to think now more uh, what to say to them. And we've been able to have some conversations and sometimes... We don't really know exactly what was said, and it may not matter, but sometimes it really does. You know, if they're asking for a ride back on the airplane for seven or eight people and only three fit, then it's important to know what was said and what we told them in answer. So we can't just always say yes to everything, everything that they say. So pray for us at that. Some of you might have got the impression that we're already starting to teach God's Word or do some translating in, into the Bible of the, of the Bible into their language, and that's not true yet. Uh, we've done translating of other things, just like children's stories, things that don't really matter if we mess it up. I mean, 
We're doing Aesop's fables, and I don't think Aesop is going to care that much if we don't translate it correctly. But we don't want to do that with God's Word. So our practicing is going to be on other things, just for them to see that they can read their language. You know, it's a viable thing that they can do. And for them to have interest that, you know, we're there to provide things for the community. This will, these little books will go into the school and the children can read them in their own language. And it gives us a good practice at how to try to put these thoughts together and into their grammar. And then when they correct us, see how drastically they change everything around. And we have to figure out, wow, how did it go so far off on that? But uh, that's some of the things that we're doing right now. Usually... Language learning is graded on a scale from zero to five. There's a lot of different groups and uh, language school agencies that use that same scale. And most people say that you shouldn't really be teaching God's word until you're up to like three or three and a half at least so that you don't create a new heresy just because you don't know what you said. And so we've passed level one right now. We may be close to getting to level two. There's tests and quizzes and things that you take to find out, and we're uh, looking forward. Well, not really looking forward to it, but we're planning to be tested to see if we've reached level two uh, sometime later this year, possibly. So level three is still a ways up there, but uh, it's an imperative. It, It needs to be done. So pray for us, especially on that. I celebrated my 50th birthday last week, so language learning isn't getting any easier. Uh, It's a... a constant struggle to keep focusing on that and to keep relearning the words I forgot a month ago and, and you know, keep working on that. So pray for us there. Uh, we are still continuing to try to help in the area of the, the churches that exist among the Makushi people group also. Uh, not because we really have time to do that, but because there aren't enough people without our help. And so every once in a while we still make visits out to, the, to those churches, try to encourage the leaders, do some training with them, uh, just be there uh, talking to the people and, and letting them know that we haven't forgotten them. You know, there's people praying for them too and encourage them. But we're diminishing that more and more as they're kind of growing through what we consider adolescence as a church plant, uh, coming into adulthood that they can begin to do all of these things on their own. You know, they can search God's word for their own. They can defend, uh, these leaders can defend their flock from the false teachers by looking up at what God's word says and they don't need to depend on these outside people always coming in to do that. But uh, those of you who've raised adolescents know that that's a tricky phase, you know, letting them do a lot of their own decisions and still trying to guide it without acting like you're guiding it. <laughs> and sometimes they want more guidance, sometimes less. And that's what we're experiencing with the Makushi churches. So uh, we're still involved in that. Some trying to be less and less and more focused with the Ingariko, but there's still that need there until the Lord uh, sends more people. One of the encouraging things that, that we saw here today was the, the elder blessing here for, for promise to see that you know, the Lord is bringing more people, uh, not necessarily to Brazil at this time. <laughs> no, we're not really like that. I mean, wherever the Lord sends his work, that's up to him. Uh, but to see uh, somebody going out with that desire to carry his truth, uh, praise the Lord. You know. We'll be definitely praying for you, and we know that, that FBC will be partnering with you the way that they have with us. And that's, that is a need. There's always a need for more people there to be, to be involved in that. And so this morning, as, as we open God's Word, uh, Luke chapter 9, I'd like to uh, apply this to how we've seen the Lord work in our lives, but also connect it with how we see that the Lord may be working in promises life in all of us as followers of Christ. I'd like to read Luke 9, 
verses 57 through 62. And as David mentioned earlier, in the rack in front of you, you may be able to find a, a Bible if you didn't bring one yourself. Page 1034 has the, the text that I'd like to read right now. And we'd like to look at what are the characteristics of one who follows Jesus. What did Jesus himself expect if somebody says, I want to follow you? Or if he tells them, follow me, what does that really mean? And so as we've tried to follow Christ in his ministry to Brazil, as promises is following Christ in his ministry that he's doing in Papua New Guinea, and as you're following Christ right here and other places that you've traveled, what does God, what, what does Christ say that he expects of his followers? So let's read Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, Someone said to him, to Christ, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you... Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray and then look at how these words can apply to our lives. Father, we've looked at your word just now and we know that it's true we know that it's not quite in line with a lot of our modern way of thinking. We know that it seems radical, seems strong, seems hard to understand how your son Christ can make those kind of demands. But we know, Lord, that he's the master. And I ask, Lord, that you would teach us this morning what that really means and how our trust of him as master is, is so key to our being able to follow you, to follow your Son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you've given us these words and let them reach into our hearts and let them change us where we need to change. In Jesus' name, amen. There are actually, in Luke chapter 9, there are a lot of examples of Christ explaining what it means to follow him, what discipleship really is, and also some corrections of things that the disciples were considering to be following which really weren't following him and we don't have time to deal with all of those today i'd like to focus on this one section but i would like to just go back and read a few verses earlier in luke 9 back in chapter in verses 23 through 25 where he almost gives really this same outline it's like he's setting up exactly the same kind of things that happen with these three people that come up to him later on and the different difficulties that each one has, he mentions pretty much those same things here in Luke 9, verse 23, just back one page. So follow there with me as I read uh, 23 through 25. He says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses 
or forfeits himself. So he's already kind of set up what are the requirements for somebody to follow him. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Well, the first person that he talks to in this section today, back in, in verses 57, have to do with that. He talks about uh, taking up his cross daily, and I think the second conversation de- deals with that. And he talks about then following him, having a single focus of only following him and not going other places, which applies really to the, to the third conversation. The other thing I'd like to look at before we get into those conversations is the background of what was happening at this time. In verse 51 of this same chapter, Luke 9, verse 51, it says that when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And as we know, before the ascension came the resurrection, and before the resurrection came the crucifixion. And so his direction right now at this point in time is kind of shifting now from all the ministry that he did there in the Galilee area and other areas. He's coming down through Samaria and heading toward Jerusalem with a fixed goal, knowing that he's heading toward the cross. And I think if we keep that as a background, knowing that Jesus right now is heading toward the cross, the most difficult thing that he'll ever face in his life, and he's going to that with purpose, with direction, it helps us to understand a little bit of how important following him is and and how radical some of these things that he says are. In fact, in this chapter, uh, just briefly, if you look in verse 22, he mentions his death. In verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And that was pretty plain. Be killed and be raised up on the third day. They didn't understand it. In verse 30, again, as he was talking, I won't explain the whole story, but as uh, Moses and Elijah appeared to him in what we call the transfiguration, it says, Behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. And then in verse 31, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Same event. And also again in verse 44, in verse 44 he says, uh, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. But he is definitely, he's got this on his mind. I'm going to the cross. I'm heading in that direction. With that in mind, then, let's look at this first conversation that he had in verse 57, where the other person initiated the conversation, came up to him as he was walking along and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Just the kind of thing that Jesus would want to hear. You know, at that time, that was the way that people learned. They would come to a, a teacher, possibly a rabbi, and say, I want to follow you, go with you where you go. I want to be your disciple and learn from you, imitate you, and become a teacher like you. And this man wanted to do that with Jesus. We don't know how much he understood about him, if he just thought he was a good teacher, if he knew he was the Son of God, if he understood that he is God, or how far he went in his understanding and belief. But for some reason, he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus answered to him, said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. was really making it clear to that man that Comfort 
is not guaranteed in following Christ. That if necessary to be able to do the will of the Master, to be able to give glory to God in following Christ, we may have to step out of our comfort zone. He wasn't saying that that would always happen. We know that God, you know, all good gifts come from God and He's given us a lot of comforts. And He wasn't telling Him to be a stoic and purposely try to remove all comforts from His life and, and give Himself pain and punish Himself and, and cause Himself just to be completely without any creature comforts or other uh, things in life that were good. But He was telling Him that in following Me, you don't define the parameters. You're not going to say, well, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. And then he says, oh, okay, then I'll find a different assignment for you. Jesus is trying to make it clear to this man, uh, you might not even have a place to sleep. <laughs> you know, the scripture says that we should be content with what? Food and clothing. It doesn't say anything there about shelter. <laughs> Food and clothing is when God says, my God shall supply all your needs I imagine that those are the needs he's talking about, food and clothing. And that's what Christ is telling him here. You may be homeless. Uh, Christ himself didn't have one fixed place that was really his home. He was always traveling, going to different places, maybe sleeping somewhere, hospitality along the way, maybe somebody similar to Phoebe that was helping as he, as he went along. And so there, wasn't, there weren't guarantees about what kind of comfort, comforts you're going to have, what kind of a situation you'll be in. Uh, that's certainly something in the missionary life you know, that we experience. We're going to uh, a different culture. Just going to a different culture already creates some discomforts. A lot of you have already experienced that. Uh, some of you going out of this culture to another. Some of you coming into this culture from another culture. And it just makes you feel really perplexed and <laughs> uncomfortable. And what's going on? Why are they doing that that way? And, and then there's being in a different country, having... Uh, Maybe less of the creature comforts that you're used to, less control of your environment, your temperature, uh, maybe not having running water, maybe not having a lot of the things that you're used to. Are those requirements for us to be able to serve God? Do we feel that we have to have those in order to uh, be able to do what he wants us to do? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. You know, what are we holding on to in the way of our own comfort that Maybe to do God's will, he's saying that we shouldn't be holding on to that so tightly. I don't know how it's going to be for you, promise, as you go there, what kind of situation your living conditions will be. But uh, we've learned that in following Christ, flexibility is an important thing, that you just are willing to follow him no matter what kind of situation there may be. And that's why I've called it self-denial, because that's really what these comforts are about, isn't it? Um, we get so used to being able to control everything. I mean, if the temperature in here raised five degrees right now, that would be a difficulty. Yeah? We, we need to be able to control that. If, if our car uh, doesn't have our air conditioner working or if you know, it's riding rough or you know, all these things, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we, we become so used to it that for it to change is, is life-threatening. You know? <laughs> like we can't deal with that. And... That's something we need to be careful of because there's nothing here in these conversations that Jesus has that implies he's only talking to a missionary or someone that's going to go to another culture or that he's only talking to a pastor or something like that. He's talking to followers of Christ. 
anyone who's going to follow Christ. And so for you to be able to follow Christ, for any one of us to be able to follow him, we need to be willing to say whatever comforts have to go out of my life for me to be able to do that, I'm okay with that. You can decide what comforts I'm going to have or not have. And that does, I think, open us up to be able to do more things than what we're willing to do right now. Maybe to another culture, maybe to another country, but maybe talking to your neighbor about spiritual things. That could be out of your comfort zone. And yet the Lord calls us to do that, if necessary, for the gospel. And so it's just an encouragement for all of us to look at. I mean, even if though we've gone into some of these places where there aren't very many or almost no creature comforts, we still have sort of our comfort zone that we have to be careful not to put up these parameters as if we're the master and expect God to fulfill those. And I think we all need to ask ourselves, are we doing that? You know, are we in some way limiting how far we'll go in following God's will and following the and obeying the master just because of how it might become uncomfortable, just because of how we might have to, to suffer something, uh, because we're not willing to, not, to, to deny ourselves. Um, just you know, coming back to the United States after a year, you see new things that you hadn't seen last time you were there, and we just saw a commercial go by really quick on the TV, and I said, did he really say that? <laughs> he, he, he said something like this, you know, what do I want? Everything I like and nothing I don't. <laughs> I think it was advertising a restaurant. I don't remember which one. Besides, I probably shouldn't say it. The, the other restaurants would sue me for not advertising equal time. But... I mean, that's exactly, he, he was very honest in stating what most people think. What do I really want in life? Everything I like and nothing I don't. And I think we've felt that, you know, in our lives. That that's what we'd like, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. I'm sure that man didn't like the idea of not having a place to sleep at night, uh, not knowing what was going to be happening the next day, not understanding uh, what kind of arrangements, what kind of facilities they were going to have wherever they went. And yet, that's what Jesus told him. If you're going to follow me, uh, you don't decide those things. <laughs> those things will be whatever they are, and it's okay. You still follow me. One thing that's been helpful to me, personally, when I'm facing a really difficult situation, and you know, maybe I'm really hot, maybe I'm going over really rough roads in, in the Toyota 4 by 4 and maybe I, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the destination because the bridge is out and because the, the holes in the road are so big and, and it's just you know, difficult, uncomfortable, it's not fun anymore. One thing that's really helped me is to just tell myself this is nothing compared to the cross. And Jesus is my leader, he's my master. If he could do that, then what is there that I shouldn't be able to do in order to follow him? Um, I found that that's not so helpful telling that to other people. <laughs> At that time, they don't really want to hear this is nothing compared to the cross because to them it, it seems like everything. But it is uh, it's something that's been uh, helpful to me personally and maybe it would be helpful for you to tell yourself and not others. But I think that's really what the, the point is here. Jesus is going to the cross right now. And this guy comes up and says, I'll follow you. He doesn't know he's going to follow Christ to the cross. He doesn't know, he doesn't understand where Christ is going. And we don't know if he was even willing to follow Christ with the idea that he might not have a
place to sleep that night. We, we don't know what his answer was. Unfortunately, none of these do we know if they listened to Christ's counsel and then said, okay, I'll, I'll do what you say no matter what. Maybe they did. I hope so. But we don't know what happened with this man, but he didn't realize completely what he was saying. And so Christ is trying to fill him in on some of the details and say, uh, I'm going to the cross. Are you willing to follow me no matter what is uncomfortable, no matter what is suffering, no matter how much it costs? Let's look at the second conversation here that I've, I've called sacrifice. And the reason for that is because uh, this expression that he uses here, when Jesus told him, follow me, and he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. This expression, to go and bury my father, at that time had the idea of, let me go and when my father dies, I want to be there because that's when they divide up the inheritance. It's just an expression to say, I want to, I'm going to go and bury my father. In other words, I'm going to go and be there to take care of all of these things at the end of his life. And part of that includes you know, my inheritance. And I think that was an important thing to this man that, you know, before I follow you, I need to take care of these material things. I need to make sure everything's in order uh, in my life financially. I need to make sure that I've, I've got my household set up and, and then I can, you know, maybe make uh, day trips with you or something and, and kind of keep things at an even keel. Apparently, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, if his father had just died and hadn't been buried yet, it's really doubtful that this man would be out there wandering around somewhere. He'd be in the whole complicated ceremony and mourning and burial preparations. And, you know, he wouldn't be out there having this conversation with a rabbi wandering down the road or, you know, Jesus heading toward Jerusalem. He, he wouldn't be in that situation. So it's, it's more likely here that his father hasn't really died yet. Uh, he's waiting for this event and then he's going to be dividing up the inheritance with his brothers. And that's really... Uh, I think why then Jesus answers back to him when he says, allow the dead to bury their own dead. If you look at it in that context, then it looks like he's saying those who are spiritually dead, those who haven't made this life-changing uh, difference of beginning to follow me as their master, let those who are spiritually still in their sins, spiritually dead, let them take care of those things that are really not of consequence spiritually or eternally. Dividing up the inheritance, the, those material possessions, um, let them take care of that. You, what did he say? Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And I think in emphasizing the kingdom of God, he's reminding him again who's king. You know, the, the king is the one who decides what to do, not the subject. And it's also interesting, he uses exactly the same construction Grammatically, I guess the linguist that being involved in linguistics, we think of those things because he said to, to Jesus, uh, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, go and proclaim the kingdom. If you're going to go somewhere, that's where you're supposed to be going. Where I'm going, I'm going and proclaiming the kingdom of God and you go in this direction. And so there was a matter there of uh, probably not being willing on his part to follow Christ and let his brothers divide up the inheritance without him being there. How fair would they be? It depends on how much, how good his relationship with his brothers was, probably. But he was more interested in, in making sure that that was taken care of. And so that, that's why I put here that sometimes, in order to follow God's will, there may be a sacrifice involved. 
normally to follow God's will. There's a sacrifice involved. And so, you know, it may be financial things. It may be that uh, he's calling us to move out of a great financial situation that we're in into one that's, that's unsure, into one that's not guaranteed, uh, into one that may even be depending on Foothill Bible Church to <laughs> provide the financial support depending on other people just by contributions. And so that's certainly something we've experienced. Uh, I think uh, of Promises training as a medical professional. You know, for her to go into Papua New Guinea, financially that's a sacrifice (laughs) compared to what she could do here uh, in terms of salary. You know, you have your master's degree, right? No? Working on her master's degree. And I mean, there's so many opportunities in in the medical area and uh, those of us who pay doctor's bills and things like that know that they're doing all right, <laughs> apparently. But uh, that's a sacrifice. And, and I think the Lord is looking at us and saying, uh, I'm not necessarily requiring the same sacrifice of every person, but are you willing? To me, it comes down to how tightly are we holding on to the things in our life or the, the things that we want, the material things and other aspects of our life. Are we holding on to that with an open hand saying, I know, Lord, you've placed that in my hand and I'll use it for your glory as long as it's there. And I'm thankful I have it. I enjoy it. And I want to use it for you. But I'm not holding on to it. If you want to take it at any time for any reason, if it will serve your will, if it will obey the Master, then take it. It's there. Or are we grasping it, you know, gripping it and, and saying, I worked for this. I've suffered for this. This is mine. And, you know, I'll pull a piece out of there every once in a while to help in your work, but uh, I'm not going to let go of, of the bulk of what I've earned. And so that's a situation I think that this person was facing when he says, those things that don't really have eternal value, uh, let those people who are focused on that kind of thing deal with that. You go and proclaim everywhere, person here that, also brings up the subject on his own. And the excuse at the same time. He was really thorough. He said, uh, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Sounds good. You know? Wouldn't it be rude to leave without saying goodbye? Seems like it. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There's a couple of things to look at there in his excuse. First of all, to go say goodbye uh, in that culture could have been a pretty big process. Uh, I know in a lot of cultures, especially outside of our own, uh, the farewell thing could be a big feast. It could be days of, of going around all over the place and seeing all the people for the last time. And uh, it would also introduce a huge temptation in his life to not go at all because here he's going back and everybody's going to try to convince him, no, no, you shouldn't. we don't even know who this man is. We don't know where he's going. Uh, stay here, you know. I can get you a job with my cousin, you know. And just all these things that would be influencing him. And I think that's part of, of the picture here. If he goes and says goodbye, that, it's not just going to be like a half-hour thing. The other idea of this is that really with this man and also with uh, the one before talking about burying his father, you know, even if you know, that was something really urgent at the time, As I was looking at this, it really comes down to how much do you trust the Master? Because if he really trusted Christ, 
he really was going to follow him and trust where Christ led, then he should have been willing to say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And if you think it's important for me to say goodbye to my family, I trust that you'll lead me over there to my family and we'll all go say goodbye to them. And then you'll lead me when it's time to go to the next place. And wherever you think is the best, that is the best. (laughs) That's what trust is about. And it doesn't seem like he was really quite ready to put that amount of trust in Christ. He's saying, okay, I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go. But first, I'm not quite sure if I trust you enough to take care of this detail. So let me go take care of that one myself. And then after that, I'll follow you. Instead of like Matthew 6.33 says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these other things he'll take care of. He'll add those to your life as necessary. So here he puts first, actually both of these, these second and third, they said, first, let me go and do something else. And I think that's a, a key thing. They were putting something else first instead of trusting completely that Christ would know what's best every step and that if he wanted to lead that, that second man over to the the house and and maybe there was a burial going on which I really don't believe but you know if he wanted him to go there and and be involved in something back at his house related to his father's death then he could Christ could take care of that and he would lead everybody over there and take part if the second man needed to go say goodbye to his family then we should have he should have trusted him to do that and i think that's a question that really this whole section of scripture here is is pointing at is how much do you trust the master a question that we have to ask ourselves how much do we really trust them and i think too you know if we're looking at our lives some of you may not have have even quite really come to that point where you say that uh, jesus is my master you know maybe you haven't seen the the way that jesus actually the reason he was going to that cross right the reason he was so intent on going to that cross is because it was the only way that a person who was born uh, as one who's doing things wrong against God and continued his life as someone doing wrong things against God, the only way that person could ever be brought to God and made right with God and have those wrong things forgiven out of their lives was for Christ to go to that cross and for him to die there. And so that's the first step toward following Christ as our master is to take that step and say, I know that I've done wrong. I know that I don't deserve to even be connected with you, Christ, or with, with God the Father. I don't deserve to have anything good from Him because I've done everything really against Him. And He says that I don't have a way to be in relationship with Him. I don't have a way to be with Him forever in the way that I am right now. And so we need to come to Him and say, Christ, just because you died on the cross, and you took my place as one who was suffering because of the wrong things I've done and because you came back to life again and you can be alive now to forgive me because of that. I trust you now to deliver me completely from those wrong things, from those sins. I trust you to to save me from that and to make me one of your followers. So that's the first step that all of us need to make. And and I think some of you who visited here often have heard that, you know, if you have more questions about that or some doubts, you're not sure. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that more afterward, too, and show more verses that talk about that. You could talk to one of the pastors, one of the elders. Uh, there's a cross over here by the side where you can go over there and wait for somebody to come see you. 
And they'll know that that's the reason you're there is to talk more about this subject. There's the cross that Jesus was heading to. That's the symbol that we use because that's where he was going. That's what he needed to do because all of the wrong things that we had done had to be paid for by death. And he was the one that was willing to to die for that to happen. After we've made that first step then, the trust doesn't end there. (laughs) Yeah, we trusted him to forgive us for all those wrong things. We trusted him now to give us a home forever with him in heaven where he lives. But what about while we're still here? The trust has to continue. And do we trust him enough that we're willing to give up any comforts necessary in self-denial? Do we trust him enough to hold anything that we have materially or in any other way, even holding our own family members with an open hand instead of clenching onto him and say, Lord, you, you could never take that from me. I wouldn't allow that, even if it meant disobeying a direction you lead me. I I can't go that far. Can we trust him enough to hold it with an open hand and know that he'll take care of doing what's right and what's best? And do we trust him enough to to stay focused on our direction instead of going off to the left or to the right? Because that's what Jesus really ended up saying here to this last man. He said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So he was telling the Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go over here. I want to look back over there, look back over here. And where's the plow going to (laughs) go? If you're trying to have a plow pulled behind a couple of oxen or something, you're not going to be driving it very straight if you're looking back all the time. I've never used one of those because we just use hoes where I live. But it looks like a pretty hard thing to steer straight. So you don't do it while you're looking back. And so that's why I said here in this, this third person that really... Christ is calling him to be focused on a single purpose. Your purpose is to obey the master for the glory of God. That's what it all boils down to. And if you continue on that purpose, the Lord might make that happen in a lot of different ways. He's not saying that the only thing you're going to do from now on 24 hours a day is read the Bible and pray and talk about God all the time. He's not saying that there's only one way to accomplish obeying Christ and glorifying God. There's a lot of ways that we can do that. He may do that through uh, being a student. He may do that through you having a career. He may do that uh, through some kind of vocation. He may do that through uh, bringing you into a mission field. He may do that through uh, bringing you into working in the church in all kinds of different capacities. There's a lot of ways that he can, and can use this, but the point is what's happening in your heart. You know, are you doing that because you know that that's what Christ wants you to do? Obeying the master for the glory of God. And as I said before, he didn't make any distinction about who should be willing to do those things, who should be willing to deny themselves, who should be willing to sacrifice uh, material things or or who should keep their mind focused on a single goal. Even though we're thinking of missions today, this is not just for missionaries. And that's the key point that I'd like all of us to think about is that wherever I am in my life, wherever I'm serving him, these same things apply. He's telling Followers of Christ, this is what it's like. How much do we trust the Master? I'd just like to look at a couple examples of this. One is from from God's Word, and it's actually the the very person that that God used to put these words in writing is, is the man Luke. We know that Luke was a medical professional, but he wasn't only interested in, in the medical profession. He was also interested in being used by God and bringing God's Word 
to other people. We can see that because uh, he did a lot of work here, even though God put all of his thoughts into Luke's mind in order to inspire the book of Luke and the book of Acts and maybe one other book, even some people say. But even though God inspired that and, and put those thoughts into his mind, it's still a lot of physical work to write down all these words of the book of Luke in the Greek language and the book of Acts, which if you look at those, it starts from the, the birth of Christ all the way through to his death and resurrection, continuing on through the beginning of the early church and all the way uh, to the point where Paul was in Rome. I mean, it's a huge, important part of, of the history of Christ and his church because of Luke not only continuing on his, his medical profession, but being involved also in God's word. And I know that that's one thing that, uh, that promises men to not only using the medical background that God's given to her, but also a desire that he could use her in translating God's word into the language of people who don't have that yet. And we really see that, that with Luke. He even traveled with Paul in a lot of instances. If you look over in Acts 16, you can see in Acts, he never really says, and, and so Luke went there along with him. He, he just starts using naturally uh, the word we to say that we did this and we did that. If you look in Luke 16, uh, excuse me, in Acts 16, I think I said the wrong book. Acts 16, verse 10. This is on page uh, 1108 in those Bibles in the racks there. In Acts 16, verse 10, it says, uh, when he, talking about Paul, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. So here's the first time that we see Luke joining up with the travels of Paul and, and the other people that were traveling with him. And so they traveled over into Macedonia. And then in Acts 16, it talks about how they went to Philippi. But when you, yeah, and if you look in verse 17, you know, it says that this person in Philippi was following after Paul and us. So Luke is still there. But then after that, you don't see Luke mentioned anymore. He doesn't say we or us anymore. In, in chapter 17, when they leave Philippi, it's just talking about they, you know, they did this and they did that. So what happened to Luke? <laughs> and the possibility is that he continued on staying there in Philippi so that as Paul and Silas were expelled, somebody could be there with those brand new believers, the, the jailer at the Philippi jail, Lydia, a commercial worker who had been there that had come to Christ. Both of their families came to Christ. There's a new little church there. And for Paul and Silas to just take off and have no more teaching of God's word would, would have been pretty hard. And so it's possible that Luke stayed back. If you look over in Acts 20, it lends even more uh, credibility to that because that's where they picked him up again. Next time he shows up was uh, when they passed through Philippi. In Acts 20, verse 5, uh, this is on page 1113, it says, But these had gone on ahead, these other people, and were waiting for us at Troas. So we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas. So it looks possible that during a time period of over three and a half years, and maybe even more, while Paul was in Corinth and Ephesus, that Luke was continuing on there, not just working in his medical profession, I'm sure, but working with the Word of God, you know, teaching people. And so he was this kind of bivocational person that was able to somehow handle both things. I don't know how someone can handle that. I don't think I could. But God had enabled Luke to do that, and he enables other people to do that. Uh, encouraging thing, too, is, as you look at the, the things that we've been studying today, the self-denial. You know, if you think of, of Luke, 
uh, going through the shipwreck with Paul, going through a lot of those things that Paul went through, uh, he was definitely willing to work outside of his comfort zone. And if you look at the sacrifice, you know, as I mentioned before, as a medical professional, he could have stayed in his hometown and, and done much better than he was going to do traveling around the world with Paul financially. And his singleness of, of purpose really shows up in Second Timothy 4. As you see the commitment that he had to this ministry that God had, had given to Paul and to himself and to other workers. In Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, this is over here farther now in uh, page 1192. Paul probably uh, in his second imprisonment near the end of his life, close to the time of his execution as far as we can understand from history, it says in verse 10, writing to Timothy, he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Almost sounds like one of the guys in Jesus' conversations, doesn't it? Maybe that, that second one. You know, he didn't want to follow Christ because he wanted to go back and take care of these other matters first. He talks also about uh, Crescens, gone to Galatia. That may have been for ministry. We don't know for sure. Titus to Dalmatia. But in the end there, in verse 11, near the end of his life, he said, only Luke. Only Luke is with me. Luke stuck with it to the end. He had this focus of purpose. I need to stay with Paul. I need to do this ministry. Maybe also helping Paul in medical situations, being there as his partner to the very end of his life, apparently. Uh, he was there. And so you see that, that perseverance, you know, that I see that as part of this singleness of purpose, the perseverance of, of continuing on. The other uh, short example I wanted to mention was is just uh, a couple of ladies that worked there in Brazil with us. They came to Brazil as both of them are nurses and they worked in a lot of medical work. But one of those ladies also uh, was the one that God used to translate the whole New Testament into the Makushi language, one of the indigenous languages there. And so as they went around to different places, helping people in their medical needs, training indigenous medical attendants, establishing clinics, and then moving on to another place, and as people came to the clinic for help, then they would also see if they wanted to do Bible studying, and they discipled people in all of these different places, and learning the language, and translating verses as they went. And so we've just seen a, a legacy that Jane and Miriam have left throughout the whole state of, of where we live, in traveling to these different places, and uh, having God's Word as their primary focus, but uh, continuing on with the medical aspect too. So it is amazing you know, how, how God can use certain people in these ways. And uh, yeah, I certainly see them as self-denial. <laughs> You're willing to go out as, as two single ladies and driving on some of those roads and walking you know, along these trails on the side of mountains and wherever they needed to go, you know, they would do that in following Christ. Uh, sacrificing what they could have done you know, as nurses in the public sector in, in the U.S. or other places and uh, always being focused on that purpose. So God can use the person who trusts the Master no matter what. And I believe that that's what he is doing right now in Promises Life. I believe that he's doing that in a lot of our lives here. And let's pray that he does it in all of our lives and that we can be the kind of followers that he wants us to be. Thank you.